Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. This is episode 12, and uh, today is kind of a little bit of a roundtable, sort of. We have a special guest on, uh, Patrick's better half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> much, much better. <laughs> Micah Green, she's here. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Hey, and so today, we're kind of talking about some hot button issues as it re- re- in regards to Blade Runner 2049, a lot of things that we're saying. Hot button issues. Really hot button. Um, issues that probably mean a lot. The to, hottest. <laughs> that mean a lot to Micah and myself and Patrick yes. too, whatever. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you're top of the food chain, you know. Um, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> boring. And no, I know. <laughs> next. So on today's episode, we are going to talk about just some things that are in the news right now in terms of 2049 and its its portrayal of women and people of color. And we thought it was a worthy topic to have. And having Micah on um, is really going to kind of speak into that. But before we get into that, I want to ask Micah, what was your introduction into the Blade Runner universe? Was it with 2049? Had you seen the original? So, um, basically, Patrick was getting very excited for 2049, and I told him that I hadn't actually seen the first one to which you so I divorced her and then, <laughs> and then the lawyer uh, was you like you can't divorce her just because she hasn't seen you this wouldn't movie yet dare anyway <laughs> so basically he was like no we had watched it and then I remembered that we had but I needed to rewatch it again so we we rewatched the Blade Runner original film and we watched the director's cut the final cut um and that left me, and this could be like another time that I come on to talk about, but that left me with a lot of different feelings. Um, not necessarily like loving the film itself, but it's still, I'm a sci-fi nerd. I was still so excited for Blade Runner 2049. So I got like, all ready, we got the tickets and we were there opening night and both very excited. So my, my introduction was the original film, but it was the director's cut of the original film in preparation for 2049 gotcha. which we're kind of we're kind of calling it 2019 at this point right that, that's sort of like yeah. I, I feel that like what people are i feel like fandom that? needs to agree okay that yeah be, cool. because because i mean it, it it works really well it also is like a nice way to remember the timeline of these events and because and it's like like i feel like blade runner 2019 you know yeah yeah, all so, right. yeah. All right, well, I guess my introduction was Blade Runner 2019. Yeah. The director's cut. That works. And the director's cut. The the final cut. Final cut. Oh, sorry. They're the same. Oh, you see the final (laughs) cut? They're the same thing. They're essentially the same thing. They just perfected a few things for the final cut. Oh, okay. Um, I would actually like, I was going to tell you this earlier, but I would like to go back and watch the theatrical release and stuff because I, I don't you've really... never seen the original no yeah. I don't know I don't know about we got, like, we the got a movie night coming stuff. up yeah yeah, yeah totally yeah my, my favorite part of the voiceover in the, <laughs> in the original release <laughs> is when it. is when Roy dies and not even a second later Deckard goes and then he died <laughs> I was yeah. like thanks thanks for that incredible insight that was a good uh, Harrison Ford. Impression. I know that was the best one. I, except job, for on the last episode, I said oh, my, yeah, fa- my favorite line was, uh, "You gotta be a stranger." Oh, yeah, don't even. Sounds like fucking Batman. Nah, don't even go there. Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah, well, what do you think about you know, what you think the, about 2049? That d- narration in the in the original, it was uh, uh, it was just yeah. like let's show them and tell them at the same time. It, it was made for it was it dumbed they dumbed it down, and even they said Harrison Ford in the Dangerous Days documentary. Harrison mm-hmm. Ford said. He was trying to kind of be snarky when he recorded his vo- his huh. voiceover, so you can kind of hear it. Oh, oh he, yeah, he oh, would, yeah. wouldn't he? 
Yes, um, yeah. So, okay. So, Micah, uh, what did you think of 2049? Well, even... Uh, so, having been not the greatest fan of Blade Runner 2019, I was excited, but I wasn't... I wasn't prepared to love it as much as I do. Hmm. I loved Blade Runner 2049. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I was absolutely thrilled the entire time. It, it was exhilarating. It was very emotional at times. Um, and it made me love 2019 more, actually. Because, I, as I had said, I, I left 2019 feeling like, you know, I, I don't really know if I like this protagonist guy. I Like, Deckard, I, I had problems with him. I had problems with, um, actually, one of the scenes you talked about, the sort of rapey love scene with him and Rachel. I had a lot of issues with that. And um, actually, watching 2049 and watching the development of Deckard's character in the fallout of Rachel and in, in all that has occurred in those 30 years that happened between the two movies... I just grew to love Deckard. I, I love all of the characters. Like pretty, there's no character that doesn't seem fully fledged out to me. So I just, I love the acting. I thought it was nuanced and 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 brilliant and very fiery. It, it, it was just, I, I can't say enough good things about it to to be honest. And I should I should tell people too um, who don't know Micah. Uh, so so she's uh, an actress. We we actually met because we were in a musical together like almost a decade ago. Um, yeah. And so so Micah. But but the difference between us is that I I can't act and Micah's oh. really great at it. So she so she don't when she's that. when she has insights about uh, about these things like you, she actually like knows what she's talking I mean, about. I have a degree in it. Yeah, you have a degree. You can tap dance, honey. Whatever. <laughs> you can tap. You know how to tap dance. So. So, uh, so, so when she says things like that, she knows what she's actually talking about. But yeah, but that was something that, that you really you picked up on was the quality of the acting, and, and I completely. Oh agree. yeah, I, I really do, and I. So that's one of the things that I really love, and I think it's a marker of a good sci-fi movie is the acting. If, if, I mean, that's that's a very general thought, and I don't want your listeners to get all uppity about their favorite sci-fi films. But I do think one of the markers of a very good sci-fi movie for me is the acting, and if if those actors are really committed to those situations that are entirely fantastical futuristic at times with all this foreign technology and even alien like actual aliens and different worlds like when that is the real world that they have to base these characters on and live in and they connect to it well and it feels real then i'm like instantly drawn in i'm like ready i'm there with them so and i think i think 2049 really accomplished that um and you, you know, part of it, I think, with with science fiction, a lot of the time, the stories themselves are very simple. Like we talked about last time, how the the basic story, the architecture, of the story of twenty forty nine is pretty is pretty simple. Mm-hmm. When you look at something like Star Wars; it is like it is like the most simple story, right? Yeah. Like it's good versus evil. Mm-hmm. It's like the it's like the the apprentice becoming the master, and you know all the and, and it's like these very simple archetypal things. But because it's done in such a way that's like so intricate and so well acted and so well thought out, and the world building is so faithful to the simplicity of that initial vision, yeah, it becomes across like completely verisimilitudinous. And I feel like um, in in twenty forty nine we get that too. Like it seems like they all totally believe that they're actually there. You know, right? Like, they like, live in that world, that brutal world, and yeah. everyone lives there. Everyone gets their fingers dirty when they're outside on the streets down there, like in the snow or soot or whatever that stuff is down there. Um, and they're all, they're all there in it. And they're, they're all 
thinking those same mundane thoughts as they look through the news and they wake up in the morning. Like, that's their world. Mm-hmm. And it's real for every single one of them. Yeah. And it's very, very clear. And I love that. And I would argue, and I, and I realize we're getting, like, incredibly off topic here. I, oh, I, no, I would I'm argue sorry. that part of why... It's not your fault. I would argue that uh, the Star Wars prequels, part of why they don't work for everybody. I realize we have some listeners, including Ooh. my brother-in-law, who called into the show who might disagree Ooh. with me on that. But I think the reason why the Star Wars prequels don't work particularly well, among other things, is that... Um, because they were shot entirely digitally and everything was composited at a time when people were not used to doing that, um, I think it was harder to sell the physicality and realness of the worlds that they were interacting with. So not just, you know, the fact that on Mustafar, for example, it looks like fake like fire. A video game. Right, but but also like it looks like the actors like are almost aware of it because it's like they, they, they have nothing to interact with and they don't they don't know what they're in. And I feel like this point, like by 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 twenty forty nine we actors have gotten so used to interacting with digital environments that they don't have to think about it as like a, another layer of abstraction anymore. And on top of that, of course, in 2049, part of what's so impressive about it is the fact that so much of it is not digital. Yeah. It's actually physically created. Yeah. And it's yeah, actually well right. written, whereas the prequels were just and, shit. Oh, right. God. It's also not fucking garbage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't so a re- essentially point-by-point point rehash of the original three, you know, right. in many right. ways. Right. The stakes were just so not... They're so low. Like, yeah. it, it, I don't want to watch a film where the characters' stakes are that low. Like, no. I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't right. mean to offend anyone who loves the prequels. This I don't care. You, you, can, you can offend them. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can offend them. Uh, all right. You're offend. Officially, I'm offending you. But we love you anyway. Yes. We do. Please um, me. So, <laughs> what... Let's just start into probably the biggest hot-button topic. And eventually, people, just so you know, everyone listening, we're going to get to a lot of your responses and call-ins and letters that you sent us. Thank you so much towards the end of the show. But we really want to talk about some of the things that a lot of people are talking about that it's kind of creating some controversy around the film. And to open that, it's the way women are portrayed. Um, And and before we get into this, can I say, like, we, we... we really encourage a diversity of opinion on the show. So like, so, so if it ever comes across, like we're on any kind of a soapbox or something like, you know, um, please let us know. And one way that you can let us know is by calling in and leaving a message. And at the end of this, just like Jamie mentioned, we're going to be getting to a lot of your calls, but we got a ton for this episode and we're so excited to unpack some of those and talk about it. But if, if you hear something you disagree with, or you hear something that you want to engage on because it's controversial or it's interesting or it's exciting, just give us a call. The number is 213-787-7894. That's 213-787-7894. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and you can always, as always, send us an email to bladerunnerpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. But let us know. Get in the conversation. Don't let this become ever a one-sided, a one-sided argument, you know? Um, totally. Engage with us because we yeah. want to we open it up to, to hear what you have to say, too. And I'm also fully aware that I, I, in, discussion, in discussing these things, especially kind of the w- women's role, not just in 2049, but as the, it's a larger topic, too women's roles in Hollywood, but we're talking about 2049. I'm very aware that I'm a man discussing, <laughs> you know, well, this woman was portrayed well, and I think this, and I think it, it not to say that you represent all women, Micah, but I think that well, you, I, re- <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> that you represent uh, enough um, uh, of an opinion um, to kind of balance some things out. Um, because I think yeah. also men, especially because Hollywood is filled with mostly men writers who mostly write these women characters. That's just how it goes. Uh, and a lot of those men uh, aren't even aware of what they're writing. They're not even aware of how they're framing things. Um, 
I like I'm sure some of the writers of True Detective don't realize that the first woman you see is dismembered and disfigured and on display. And then yeah. the next woman you see is fighting with her mother and she has a, a, a distant relationship with her her daughter and she eventually cheats on her husband. I mean, this is Yeah, I actually was just thinking of True Detective yeah. too because in the second season, it's just I, I just don't think he knows how to write women because yeah. I, I hate it. And they don't. It's the um, James Cameron syndrome. It's the it's the James Cameron syndrome. Thinking, oh, to write a good woman, we have to make her really fucked up. We have to. Yeah. She has to have been abused, or or her husband's cheating on her, or she's just a bitch. That would make her a really good character. Right. Like, and I think men really believe that. A lot of them yeah. men writers. I don't think it's everyone. I think there are exceptions. Ellen Ripley. Um, and uh, I think actually Rachel is an exception, absolutely an exception. Um, so, what do you? Th- <laughs> so what do you think though? Like let's let's kind of start for twenty forty nine. For twenty forty nine, yeah. So I mean, there's there's like the good thing about twenty forty nine is that there are several women characters featured in it, um, and and Patrick will laugh because I'm just gonna jump right to my favorite character. And that's Joy. <laughs> yes, and I and I bet. Wow. And I bet, I bet you might disagree with me, but I I have a lot to say about her. And as a woman myself, I am constantly and and as an actor, I'm constantly um, noticing the way that women are written and getting angry about them if they're written stereotypically, which. Like you said, they they often are, and um, I'm I'm I would say I'm pretty woke to women and how they are written, and 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 when they are being treated like objects or like not fully fleshed out. But I I do, um, Joy really spoke to me from 2049, which is so funny because more often than not, when I see a movie where a character is played by obviously the actress is a beautiful like she is a gorgeous person physically and um she starts off like exactly like you guys were saying the last episode she is a typical housewife she's waiting for him she's cooking she's complaining about the day she's like um self-deprecating herself about how bad her dinner is she even offers to fix his shirt that he said he he had an accident with like she's do she's checking off all those boxes that a, a, a housewife would check off but i don't know for some reason when i was watching it even the first time where where it would usually bother me that that was happening it wasn't bothering me and and you can even attest to this too. Like I, I I can get pretty judgy of the female characters because I'm I'm like either placing myself in them or I'm seeing my sex represented by them. So the fact that Joy wasn't bothering me, even though she was she was like this obedient, sexy like like just there for him to serve him thing. I was still I was still like I I could feel that there was something else there. That's interesting. And, I didn't feel. Yeah. I still don't feel that there's anything there. I really don't. And, and even really? after, even after our conversation, well, the last episode, no, no. Jamie refuses it. to be woke. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, no. here's the thing. No, 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 no. It, Go ahead. It, it'd be one thing, and I'm not saying that they needed to explain this, but if if there was something where, like, yes, emanator, an emanator allows uh, these programs to begin free thought. Oh, okay. 
So that would make sense if then they can learn on their own. I don't know what the extent of her programming. Mm. Um, I kind of think that that would make it a little bit, I think that might, and I, I don't mean to like, just like jump on that, but I think that um, if they had explained that, that would be, that would be giving her, like that wouldn't, that wouldn't serve her character, you know? No, like that would, yeah. that would make it, it that would give it, them an easy way out. Like, oh, this happens. It, it wouldn't be her triumphing over her programming. It would be the fact that this emanator that they made allows her to do that. Well, that's the so, question, though. Is she triumphing? Tri- triumphing. Over triumphing. Her, over... Did I make that up? Isn't that's that, a, that's word. a word. It, that's a word. It's she... a better word than weightily. <laughs> <laughs> isn't she trying? How? But. Is she triumphing over her character by the time she, we see her disappear? Wasn't wasn't that just all of her programming? She's just and here's my here's my kind of overarching uh, spiel that I gave Patrick a couple days ago when we were yeah. discussing this off off the record. Um, mm. This idea that and maybe you can speak to this, Micah, but it was this idea mm. of oh here's my man, he's my man. I want to do anything for him. I want to do anything for him. Oh, yes, I'll even go in my emanator. You can break this down. I'll sacrifice my life for my man. Whatever you want to do, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love being with you. You don't have to tell me that. Like, to me, that just screams heterosexual male programming. But you know what? To to me, it it is... To me, I I mean, I listened to the episode, the the previous episode, and I'm, like, crying thinking about it because... so. You said it yourself. She wants so badly that to to be with him that she sacrifices her life. Isn't the whole movie about finding that bravery to sacrifice yourself? Like that's what it means to be a human. That's what they say. That's what Frieza says to K- to Joe to Kay, and I call him Joe because I love Joy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they say like, isn't that the most human thing to sacrifice yourself for what's right? She wants to be real so badly that she knowingly puts her her life on the line so to speak and and she knows that the emanator is fragile he he tells her no we're not doing that but that that right there is totally against programming like if you think of an animal putting itself in harm's way that just doesn't that's like that's so antithetical to the nature of the animal and it would be i i would assume even more so in the like just programmed into the nature of something that is synthetic to not go against the programming if they're just if they're just like the sum of their parts that they have been programmed mm-hmm. so so i think that to me her saying put me no put me in the emanator like a real girl i'll be gone like a real girl mm-hmm. like she is totally against her programming and i think for me she starts going against her 50s, like, housewifey, perfect, um, yes, sir, programming after he gives her that gift of the emanator. So maybe, maybe, maybe it isn't a technical thing that is, like, part of the technology of the emanator that actually allows her to do that, but you can see it on her face, and it's so beautiful the way um, Anna acts this out when, when she steps off of the track and she looks at it and laughs. Like, you can just feel... Like, to me, I just felt her love and appreciation mm. for that thought that he gave her. And she's free. Like, she... That, to me, was when she started breaking away from what she was written out to be. Yeah. Like, she is literally physically free. She can go outside if she wants to. Like, the that... Forgive the pun. Like, the joy that joy has <laughs> um, 
is beautiful. Like it's totally beautiful. Huh. And you know what? I think it's important to remember that she. So so Jamie, I know that for, for you, the really problematic thing is that Fifty's housewife being being programmed by by straight men to fulfill their their desires. She's only in that mode for like maybe. 45 seconds of screen time right. like she comes on she gives him the food she, she gives him the, the Nabokov book yeah and, and she has like the Nabokov book and then she doesn't want to read it she throws it away she gets in her dancing clothes yeah. he says no but hey i got you this bonus i got this emanator for you what do you want to do and the first thing she wants to do is is what does she want to like go like you know shopping no she wants to go stand well, in the rain with him right right yeah well well i mean it's not like a no typical, she could right she it's could not a she could walk out she can light a she can light a cigarette. Well, she could. She could have said, "Like, oh, I'm free. Let's go. Let's go." I don't know. Like, she could have said anything, but she she chooses this very simple thing to just go outside with him yeah. instead in the rain. And the whole time, her whole thing is, and and I, I don't want to get off track from what Micah said because I, I know you're going to want to respond to that. But just mm. briefly, I, I feel like her whole thing is reality. Her whole thing is a push to being real. That's yeah. what she believes. That that that. To joy, that is the essence of existence, right? She cries when she says, like, you're you're a real boy. You were born. You're worth something. You're special. Mm-hmm. She cries when she talks about going into the emanator. She's like a, a she says girl. like a real girl. Yeah. Like to joy, that I mean, that that is that is everything. And like, you know, we, we live in a world where, for example, we have all of this um research going on around anti-aging, about life extension, about you know, stopping the depletion of um oh my god. Oh, actually before I go on, I need to apologize. I got a lot of write-ins on the last episode including from uh, my wife who's sitting next to me yes. right now, you that I mislabeled yeah. in the DNA helix. Those They're are not, not proteins. proteins. They are nitrogen bases. <laughs> I'm a nursing student, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got a lot of angry emails about that. I apologize. Email. I was wrong. You were wrong about the they bases. They were nitrogen bases. Nitrogen so, bases. But before, nitrogen bases. But Good before job. we uh, go back to that, um, I feel like... Uh, like there, there's just there's a lot in Joy as a character that to me is extremely human, and I think that it devalues her as a character. I think it devalues the writers of the film as creative people to assume that they were writing this just functionally sexy, obedient character without the intention of her eventually going beyond that and above that. You know, the Odyssey doesn't start with a triumph, right? Like great fiction doesn't start with a victory great fiction starts with a baseline star wars right luke luke is in a freaking moisture farm you know and then he eventually goes on to conquer the stars and become the greatest jedi you know and i feel like that to me that's that's important and and going back to joy like the the whole her whole breakout of the from from the um i don't know what to call that technology that she's kind of trapped on in the apartment. Do you, do we know what that is? You know what that is? No, but it's uh, some sort of a hologram. Some sort of, thing, yeah, yeah, the hologram thing. So when she breaks out of that and she's free and she's able to be an emanator, like that beautiful, to me, beautiful journey that she takes um, all the way to see her character develop until she is destroyed by love um, is even more heartbreaking when Joe then sees the big projection yeah. of joy which is pink and she's naked and she has black eyes and she's like she's like back to her base programming which is just all about sex mm-hmm. all about literally what you what you want to hear exactly what you want to hear that to me is so much more heartbreaking to see joy and to, to see him looking at her the way he does which is like ah like you don't like that, you're not my joy, you know. Interesting. I didn't ever even, 
watch that scene that way. Like when I see him looking at her, I just see this kind of vacant stare. Like, I don't know what he's thinking. I didn't. Yeah. It's weird. And I, I, as you were talking and I've been processing this, I think my issue has more to do with this setup that officer K is the most important thing. Um, and, and she supports that by saying you're special, you're special. Yeah. So she supports that. And I don't, he doesn't emote much in the film except for that one time where he screams you don't really yeah. know what's going on in his head i don't i see him processing maybe he is woman born um and you can see that's haunting him and that's he's trying to figure out or, or is his memories real and i can feel that i can feel when he realizes that he's not deckard's son he's not Rachel's son yeah. and he's sitting down and he just he just sees profile and you can feel his heartbreak those are the only real times that i feel that I see an emotion coming from Kay. Everything else... When... I think there's other times. I, Maybe, I, I think a lot not... of it. I think... I, well, all right, so two things. For, for, I think, first off, I think Ryan Gosling's acting style is extremely inner, right? I think, like, mm-hmm. part, part of what makes him an effective actor is that he, he, he really kind of bottles things up, but he seems to be feeling them very strongly. Especially so you get the sense of, like, an undercurrent world. of a lot of emotion going on, but it's not evinced outwardly that much. Mm-hmm. I think there's that. And also, though, I think there's a reason why the baseline test administrator calls him Constant K, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think part of why he's a successful Blade Runner and why he's a replicant who is able to survive in, in a society that's extremely anti-replicant is partly because he's able to keep his emotions in check and he can pass that baseline test just fine, you know? Yeah, and he turns his eyes down. He, like, makes himself smaller, like you guys were talking yeah. about a few episodes ago, which is, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, his his subtleties in that, like, this is world now we're talking about men, but he was amazing, and the subtlety that Agreed. he brought to that character. Absolutely. And, uh, and all phenomenal. of this discussion, I mean, I Patrick and I discussed this, all of these things that we're discussing, like, I still believe that 2049 is a masterpiece i think that there is no other film like it it's not even enough like enough like the first film it's so different it's so singular and unique i mean i think it's amazing i think it's dreadfully distinct yes yes nice one there i'm a nerd um (laughs) and you're married (laughs) in that tall white fountain play oh my goodness um I, i i mean it's just it's absolutely profound like the the it's also a very difficult film to watch for me. I realized too, after seeing it four times, emotionally, it's just I'm drained yeah. by the end of it. I'm just like it's very powerful. After you know, yeah. I, I, and there's so much. And I think as we continue to discuss the portrayal of women in the in the film, okay, so Joy is one woman, and I, part of my also part of my issue with Joy is I don't feel anything for her, and maybe that's just a me thing. Probably is, but she also has no mass. Joy is a, a series of light projections. Um, that, okay, that looks like I wanted to speak to this too. I, I will let you finish, but I, I have like an idea about this okay. that I definitely want to talk about. Okay, um, and that doesn't, and I, but I, I, I'm thinking back about uh, with films that I've seen that deal with holograms. Um, I'm thinking of any kind of film that I've seen that deal with holograms and maybe me trying to make an emotional connection with a hologram. Um, and I can't think of one. So this was very different for me. It was a very different experience. I've never, most films I've seen in terms of science fiction, because I love it. I'm a hardcore sci-fi nerd, as everyone mm-hmm. knows. Uh, it <laughs> deals with AI, but it's it's very, it's three-dimensional AI. It's, you know, it's very um, advanced AI, whereas Joy is very regressive. Her character yeah. is very, it's, it's essentially one-dimensional. Uh, I mean, I don't mean her character, but 
what she's her actual physical her, being. her physical being and I, I just think and I also was thinking is joy my iPhone in some ways where my iPhone can loves me loves me when no one else does I can talk to my iPhone it's programmed to love me um, but mm-hmm. I can't marry it and I can't hug it and it's ultimately not gonna give me what I need I can't you know, I can't make love to it. I mean, I could try, but you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) 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 but I feel like there are such limitations to, I just, to the, to the, it's hard for me to see her. Yes. It's hard for me to, to see, you can't switch. You can't turn off Kay. You can't turn off Rachel. I mean, they died, but you can't turn them off and say, I'm done. Like they can see three PO. Um, yeah. You can just turn, you can literally like turn the light off and she'll be gone. Yeah. And so I have a hard time anthropomorphizing her character there's i just i don't know what there is to anthropomorphize except for just a what we might know is maybe she's gone past her programming we're not really sure um maybe they're you don't don't feel for you don't you don't get anything to anthropom to anthropomorphize her from her from her decisions that she makes like no because i don't know if her decisions are hers i don't know if they're programmed into her but the decision, I don't know, like, to me, like, um, the decision to, everyone forgets the name of the prostitute, the poor prostitute. Mariette! Mariette! Oh my gosh! I am the only person that remembers that. Mariette. Although, I have to say, so, so Jamie, as you know, I saw it again for the 9,000th time mm-hmm. on Saturday night. And, Without and me, I was, And after our final you. episode, after after our previous episode, rather, where, we, where this came up, and I was like, I don't think they say her name. I was like, I'm going to watch the movie really close. They never say her oh, name okay. in this movie. Mariette. So, yeah, so, so that's, that's, why, anyway. that's why we don't know. Okay. So, uh, well. It's in the credits. I'll get to that. But uh, I wanted to say that I think um, Kay or Joe makes Joy more human and Joy makes Kay more human. Interesting. Um, that's what I got from the movie. I think her support, yeah, it might be programmed, but it it's it 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 it's I don't know. Like maybe it's just it's it's like kind of like Deckard and Rachel are meant to be together, and Joy and Kay are meant to be together, and they bring out the best in them. Like she brings out this her hero in him, where he was like a machine he was literally a machine he did his job came home had the crappy dinner went to bed got spat on by humans and and like did the whole thing over again where she she makes it like she makes it worth it like he's excited to go home to her he's excited to give her this present and i i would i would argue that it's it's because of her that he has this spark in the first place like she brings him to life kind of Hmm. Um, sort of like Rachel, sort of like Rachel. See, when I don't you, see so, that. So, I don't, I don't know. Oh! I don't you know what moment in the film Joy brings happens? Kay to life. What moment does that? When happen? does it not happen? When, did it? when does okay, it not when did it happen? Like, when does he it gets not? home? Don't fuss. He sits down. Oh, here, look. She's changing clothes. She's changing clothes. Oh, look. Let's go outside. Oh, I love yeah, but you're being so with fixated you. on that scene. That that, that, that's just scene, that's just scene setting. That's not yet. Not yet. She's it's not when, really herself when yet. When they are together looking at the DNA strands. Yeah. She <gasps> she knows that she is zero and one. And she's saying, you are not that. So that's her first. You're not that. You're not like me. You're special. Okay. And she also like she she produces the horse from the dream for she's him. She's like remember she, this. She, yeah, she like like she, she and so he, here's the here's the there's a couple of problems with this. For one thing, um, 
we're, we're going to fall into our whole free will versus not free will conversation. Oh, and so I'm going to well, try to like, yeah, steer away from that. I was thinking about that too. That's, yeah, that, that's, a whole, that's a whole separate issue. But I think that but the reality is, is that to me, it doesn't matter if she was quote unquote programmed to say what he wants to hear. Because you know what? Like, I think that any person who truly loves somebody understands what they want to hear. And, and, if, it, and if it's true, if, it's, if it's real, too. and if it's necessary, I think they'll say it. Right. Even if it's hard. Yeah, but you know, she's not telling him easy shit. Who, who... But she's not talking about easy shit. Like, she's talking about things that mean that he could potentially be hunted, as he said, for the rest of his life by people just like him. But it took her telling him. She's pushing him in a dangerous direction because she knows that that's right for him. But I, he, she's had, not just he, saying, he had that date realization about him being in, going in a dangerous direction when he discovered the date. On the bottom of the tree. Yeah, but 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 did he act on it? No, it was only when she told him that that he decided to act on it. And, and he, he decided him. to go to to the to the um to the upgrade center and talk to Stalin about see, the dream. See, the naming real. part too has a I'm, I have a struggle with because Joe, your name is Joe. Well, of course she wants to say his name is Joe because that's what she she called him. She's programmed. That's what the yes, big how... called him on the bridge. You but look how, like a how, good how... Joe. Like, right. How heartbreaking is that, though? That's why it's how sad. How heartbreaking yeah. is that? Because that's that's, funny. that's the name that his joy has given to him. Which, I mean, <gasps> for me, when the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's like that's like a, a very basic name. But then when when that like in that scene where where the big like sex bot joy is like, you look like a good Joe. It's almost like cruel. You know yeah. that moment? Like he looks beaten to me i mean maybe i'm just reading all of this because i no, want he does. to see all this he, he rips off like, his bandage and throws right. it in the river yeah. and he looks like oh my god like th- that's that's my name that my joy gave me but it's dirty when this joy says it like this is not yeah. my joy and when when joy says it the first time she's crying so hard she can barely get it out yeah Remember she that? says joe like she, your mother would have named it's you like, it's like it's like you look at the joy sex bot and you see what she was programmed to be that's what she was designed to be. And then you look at Joy, the character. Joy, who says, put me in the emanator, take me with you, break like the antenna off. And then she cries, and the last thing she does is she tries to tell him that, that love she loves you. him. Yeah. And she and she puts herself willingly in danger, Jamie. That, that's another thing to think yeah. about, right? She actually comes out of the emanator by her own will, right as love is about to, to kill um, Yeah, and she doesn't say, don't, don't do it. She doesn't try to stop love from doing it. She immediately, when she knows that she's about to be destroyed, she looks at at Joe, at Kay, and says, "I tries to say I love you." Yeah, it's very, it's very powerful. Which is, I think that like, I, agree. Yeah, I think we're gonna keep circling. We're gonna keep circling because it's gonna. You're gonna say, no, no. "Yep, that's her programming." No, 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 no. I have just had this revelation, this epiphany. Um, <gasps> revelation. While you guys were talking, I think I believe that this issue really is about me because I think about I have a very tough relationship with technology. Um, mm. I live a very insular life. I the only the only um, interactions i get with people aside from work is through technology but that can't go mm. that only goes so far and i've i've difficulty scrolling on i feel really empty when i start scrolling like i feel really this yeah. this deep sense of emptiness when i start scrolling too long and i've been sitting down on my bed for maybe an hour and a half and i've just been scrolling the whole time and it's a very empty process for me um yeah. and i feel like joy represents technology and i have a very I, I love that I can talk with friends. Um, I, I prefer to hear, I prefer to, I think Patrick, you even know this. Um, I prefer real time conversations more than I prefer text. I mean, I'll text yeah. if I have to, 
Um, but I prefer as much human contact as I possibly can because I barely, right. I don't get a lot of it. I'm just, uh, that's just the nature of where I am in my life right now. And so when I mm-hmm. see joy, I only seek technology because you see like the epitome of, of he's a, like the greatest version of the iPhone yeah, is and, joy. And Deckard is alone. I'm sorry. Kay is alone. He is absolutely alone. And he has this program that makes him feel less alone, but he's still fucking alone. Um, but you know what? To, to, for me, it, it and I, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm a romantic person. Me too. So me think, too. Yeah. And, but I just think that I want, I want, I want her to be for him what he needs, and I believe that he made her a person, and she in turn returns the favor by making him a person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she, she's made into the joy. Like she says, I have all these memories. I'm like I'm an actual. I think she's a little proud of who she is by the by the time that she goes to the animator alone, and um, and and that's because of him. Like he, through little things that he said to her, um, preferences that he set with her, like all of those technical things that he's done, have made like have culminated into this person who's his girlfriend, Joy, and for some reason, like she just. He makes her alive, and then she mm. returns the favor by making him a hero. Interesting. And I, I have, I have, to two, I have two thoughts. Basically, Jamie, what, what, what you were saying, I think, is really powerful. I think maybe reveals a lot about why we have different opinions about this this particular character. Mm. And I, I think it's interesting because, uh, in in a lot of ways, you are the closest thing that that I know to uh, basically a joy character, right? Like you and I have never met in person. Oh, ow. We've never yeah, not now. <laughs> we we've never we've never met in person, right? We've never interacted in person before. Um and yet you're one of my closest friends and I feel like to me you're a very fully fledged person, you know? Hmm. Um and and I don't doubt that for a second, but for all that I know from my personal experience, you could be nothing more than just a, a voice on the internet, you know? And, and, <laughs> wow. and, and yet, and yet I know you're not Mind because I lovely. sense the humanity behind yeah. this one dimensional electronic apparition. Yeah. Right. And so to me, that is what is important with, with, with Kay and his relationship with joy, because you're right. He is alone. He is existentially and physically alone. He lives in a locked room with, with graffiti on the walls and he has to go through battalions of people who are there spitting on him, and he lives a terrible, miserable life, mm-hmm. just like Deckard did. Right? Yeah, and just I, like Deckard. That was just what he's I was alone thinking right now. In his misery. Let's just, I was just thinking about the setup of 2049. Kay's alone, isolated, except for when he's at work, but he's still pretty yeah. isolated because he's alone. When he meets Sapper, Sapper's isolated. Mm-hmm. When he meets Deckard, yeah. Deckard's been isolated. His, yeah, he's very isolated. Everybody almost. Uh, Deckard's been, you know, living alone. Um, you, he meets Stalene. Uh, uh, What's her first name again? And how? Ha- yeah, no, it's just it's still in. It's but still how how twenty forty nine is a isolated story of isolation. It's yeah. a story of Celine is literally closed off in a freaking in a cage. Yeah. She yeah. is as isolated. Yeah, I mean that's You're right. that's the thrill. That is what the story is. And I yeah. think sometimes, certainly for me, technology reminds me how isolated I am, how alone I am. And I'm not, right, but that but that's technology for the sake of technology. Yeah. Like like joy to me is technology for the sake of technology. But why is joy different? I than love. Siri? Hang on, hang on. Let, let me, let me, let me. Uh, I'll tell you why in one second. But before I do, the difference is that joy is technology for the sake of technology that, by virtue of her love and humanity, superseded what she was built for. And in that way, 
I think she's the most heroic character in the whole film. Ooh. Now, why she's different from Siri to me is because do you, are you under any illusion that Siri is a real being? No, no, right? She's you. You, you can't obviously you can't see her, you can't touch her, you can't interact with her. Also, she's dumb. Like she's she terrible. she's she never does anything <laughs> right. But also, like she's not set up to be Sorry, an actual. Um, I don't want to say effect simile a simulacra. She's not she's not set up to be a simulacra of a human person mm -hmm. joy is by virtue of her semi-physicalized being right yeah. especially with the emanator you can you can be fooled if you're not touching her into thinking that she's physically corporeal mm -hmm. that she's mm -hmm. present right mm -hmm. that she's incorporated but uh so 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 functionally i think there's a huge difference there joy is made to to feel like a fully fledged person that you can interact with and i think in a lot of ways in this in this incredibly isolated society that we're talking about where everybody lives in locked fish tanks basically i think it's almost like a, a a human service to have creations like this that can make people feel less alone because let's face it they're all speaking different languages they're all from different very stratified social classes they're all angry people are dying they're all, they're, sick, they're all stuck they're on all world because they're all genetically bereft or they're poor like these are these are not happy people. These are people who go home and they are they are fucking alone. And if you have anything that takes you out of that, I think it's a good thing and a service to humanity. I also think for me, what makes joy not Siri is that you can put yourself and your memories and your love and your wants and needs, and you can care for her and she responds. Hmm. You know, like you can't care for Siri and have her respond. Really, you know. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't make memories with Siri that she will then be fond of and cherish. Like I, I believe that Joy cherishes the memories that she has yeah. with Joe, with Kay, and and whether she does or she doesn't, to me, doesn't actually matter because what what matters is that she appears to, and because of the evidence that we have to go with, that means that it's true. And right? I guess if I it's don't not true, then we have so I can't right. I can't and, and maybe that's okay. and maybe that's the problem. And I'm also. Um, I also view technology as also counterfeit. Like, um, yeah. like uh, talking on Facebook or talking on Skype. It's like a long distance relationship. It's not going to mean much until you meet in person. And so Joy isn't going to tuck Kay in bed. Joy isn't going to be able to snuggle Kay. But she and, wants to. That's yeah, what I was going to say. Wants aren't the, enough. The beautiful thing. I, wants the beautiful enough. thing. That's all she can give though. Yeah, but like, and just, that's she, not enough. She can't change. And that's not enough she to She can't settle. change though. Like she can't. She cannot change what she oh, is. Of course not. But the stuff that she can change, she does. She, like she's you, a you cheap substitute for the real be. thing. That's what joy is. But that's not her fault. That's not her fault. Well, I'm not saying it is her fault. I'm saying that's what she is. She's a cheap. And I think my again my issue is, I'm not like. But, I don't. I'm not settling for joy. I don't like. Okay, she's interesting. But so you I would like rather real girl. Yeah, it's like oh, it's oh, true. Oh. It's true. Hey, hey, trivia question for both of you: Who says that? What's the character's name? Now yet? I don't know. I just don't. Jesus! Know. Oh, you got oh, it! Oh, you got it! Hey, Jamie! Wow! I can't get. <laughs> Micah just she clapped so hard she ripped the headphone off. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting really excited. But listen, listen, no, listen. Awesome. So it's not enough for you. That's that's okay. Like that's just like your thing. But to, so it is. It is enough for me that Joy wants to tuck him in so badly that she will put her her hands on the blanket even though they won't pick it up and and do the motion to put to, to tuck him into bed even though she won't be able to physically tuck him into bed she will still be there and do it and here's, that for me is enough and here's why that that's enough for you character. because you live with it in reality that's true i don't maybe yeah so mm -hmm. my my 
relationship with technology is very different from yours. You can look at it and you can understand that and you can say, and it can work for you because you live in that reality of three-dimensional love. Um, right. Whereas I don't. And so it heightens that for me. And I, this is not a pity party. I'm just saying mm. this is just the, the nature of our reality, of dueling realities and how my reality mm. speaks to it. Like you huh. can say, oh, this is great and everything, but getting a little bit more personal here, I, you know, I deal with a lot of like affection starvation. I was very affection yeah. starved as a child. Um, mm. And I still deal with that as an adult. And for me, and so I'll view joy as, well, that's not a real woman putting her that's arms around me or whatever, yeah. you right. know, or that's not, that's not, you know, my dad hugging me. That's just a, a, yeah. a, a what do you call it? A, uh, hologram. a hologram of him trying to, a, a sim- a and it's not. And, right. I'm, and, I, and that scene where Kay, is trying his best to put his arms around it's Joy or to let Joy put his arm. And then all of a sudden she freezes, reminding him this isn't real. Um, right, yeah. right. And, 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 and that's, that's why it hurts. Too. Yeah. Oh, it's totally. Right. And that's what I, But what's funny yes. is that every single time I've seen that, people have laughed at that moment. And I, I, I'm it's always too, like, I think it's too heartbreaking, you know? Maybe. I, I just, I'm always like, why are you laughing at this? That's because like so it's sad. Awkward. Like she's. It, it is ironically funny a little bit. I mean, in the middle it is of a this, funny too. in yeah. the middle of this deep like, emotion, all of a sudden you have a message, and it also yeah. turns yeah. joy into from his boss. it turns joy into a, a messaging machine. Right, this, exactly. Ah, you're right. It dehumanizes. Totally right? dehumanizes, which then you. makes her her ascent into humanity more powerful. I, I, I think I, I know that we have to move on from joy because this is, yeah, this is becoming the whole episode. I know. But I, I do I do think that this is a really interesting conversation. And I would like to formally just state for the record that I think we should at some point have a, an episode where we unpack the, the Spike Jones film, Her. Oh, my God. Yes. Joy. joy. Totally. Yeah. Because I think that there are a lot of very interesting parallels there. And I think yeah. that would be a really fascinating Absolutely. Um, um, conversation. So let's move and on. What an then. incredible movie, though, to make us talk about all of these things, like all of these. Oh, I know. These like truly emotional human problems like that's that's to me what good like what sci-fi is and should be it makes you think about these human problems and like how you see them and how i see them and how patrick sees them and how how your listeners see them like that is just um an amazing movie and an amazing sci-fi film Mm -hmm. yeah totally let's let's okay so let's move on and let's just kind of put it out there really quick um and then maybe... Oh, hang on. Hang on. I just thought of what I wanted. I, I okay. had one more point to make. And then I, and then no. I forgot okay. to bring it up. One Give more. Me, one more point! Because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to forget this. But it was really good. And I keep losing it. I, do, do, I, just, do it. I just... Okay, listen. Quickly. Listen! Okay, ready? Says the white man. At every... Oh! Ooh. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, I'm done. I love you. I'm, I love you. I should point out for the people who are listening who can't see me right now that I, I'm wearing shark pajamas and uh i keep getting called like you know like well it's like you guys keep calling me like top of the food chain and i'm (laughs) saying i am actually wearing shark pajamas so in many ways tonight top of the food chain eaten by top top of the food food chain chain. yeah all right all right that's fine okay so my my my, my really quick point (laughs) my really quick point is that um if you notice throughout the movie Every time Kay is in a situation where he's being hit on or he's in any kind of an intimate situation with another woman, you hear, you hear her little, you hear Peter and the Wolf theme go on yeah. because, because Joy is saying like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Joy is jealous, which to me is what is perhaps the most human trait is jealousy. And I think that's like an extremely human thing that she's doing. But my point for bringing this up is that she then is so desperate to be corporealized 
to have a human existence and a physical connection with him that she hires this beautiful prostitute named Mariette, okay. who she had, <laughs> who she had previously pinged him because she was jealous and she was like, "What are you doing flirting with this girl?" And she asks her because he is interested in her. She even says that she yeah, asks her to have sex with him so that she can pretend to be participating in it, so she can have the experience of being a real of being a real person. And you and can to tell me, that it hurts her. It does hurt her. She's not like jubilant. She mm-hmm. looks like this is difficult, but it's something that she has come to terms with. She's and I think it's so beautiful. With her too. She's like quiet. Yeah, she's I have quiet. To I have to sing. But see, and, see, here's and, the, I have a I have a uh, philosophical problem with that. So you have this woman, okay, yes, sleep with this other woman, that's fine, I'll be there, I'll be there, so it's okay, I'll be there, okay, you know, you can dehumanize me, even though I'm trying to humanize myself, I don't know, it just seems like she debases herself herself for his pleasure. You know, Um. and maybe you're right, and maybe you're not, but I have a feeling that we will probably talk about this a lot more, (laughs) so um, we we, we can move on, I I just wanted to, I just wanted to. No, I heard you. You know what you should talk about, you guys? Uh, not on this episode, but but I'm I would be interested to hear, and I'm sure many other of your listen listeners would be interested to hear why Peter and the Wolf. Yeah, I, oh, I know. Oh, I've that. read all about, about that. that. Why Peter and the Wolf. Yeah, there, okay. there's 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 that. Yeah, I, I Let's think not talk about we, it now. we have a lot of joy coming up. Peter's a- and also. Yeah. Also, like why why Joy and Joe are only one letter apart and all these other things too. I, I think I think there's a lot to unpack with her. And oh, yeah. I didn't even uh, think of that. One. We we are we are going to be uh, interviewing a couple of of, uh, of authors and, and commentators who have written on uh, feminine issues vis a vis Blade Runner. Um, one of them's coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, he's gonna it's gonna be a great interview. And we, I'm I'm currently trying to seek out um, a woman who wrote an incredible long form article for the New York Review of Books, which is the best magazine in the world. Um, and we'll hopefully have her on to talk about this as well. So, so this is a conversation that we will be having that will hopefully be evolving and we won't be always just fixated on if we joy. like joy or not. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I do think it's interesting that well, we, that we're fixing on it because I think she's interesting. I think, I think joy, I think joy is, uh, uh, what do you call it? She was made and engineered for replicant men mm. who are, who but, are tasked with working with humans. Okay. That's just, I can agree with that. There. Um, All right. Well, we, we, will, we will discuss with this joy. This particular joy, Kay's joy, has made herself more. Yeah, with okay. him, and that's why she's that's why she's a hero. That's why I like her. We are not arguing that the giant sex bot is a hero. Oh no, 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 I know. Like, oh, like, I know. I know. She, right? repre- she represents the worst of what that can be. Yeah, and I think and, part and, of those and the most easily, like the, the easiest, the easiest to advertise. Yeah. You know, like sex sells. She is the easiest joy joy version to advertise. Totally, totally. But and I think um, I'm uh, my cynicism with her comes from a culture, our culture. Um, that is dominated by the psyche of straight white men in control. And yeah. how much is that is Wearing joy? Uh, <laughs> how much of that comes through with joy and how much of that is really like, I, and I, I can see the evidence of, I can see uh, a different narrative happening with Ellen Ripley or Sarah Connor um, yeah. or, or other women here and there. Um, you can see that, hey, this is just a character who happens to be a woman, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. But then you see someone like Lara Croft, and yes, she can do yeah. all these things, but she's ho- overly sexualized. Big boobs, short shorts. You know, she's like, yes. you know, the you know, just kind of a wet dream almost. So, I, I, but, but, but I, I see this as a story of transcending that. I see this as a story where the right, where Fancher and Green are specifically saying that this is an archetype. I mean, this is all functioning within this, obviously, this cross-genre 
um, like, uh, you know, throwback to noir and all these things, right? This is like, this is the archetype of the sort of dam- damsel character, right? And yet she transcends it because she's actually heroic. And I would say that, like, to, to me, I mean, Ellen Ripley is maybe my favorite character in the history of cinema, so I'm not putting her down at all. But I think that she could be even more heroic if she were created to be something that she wasn't and she became the amazing heroine that we know, you know? Well, she- like, I, I, I think, I mean, I think that's... Totally valid. Yeah. I think. Well, that's a good that's a good segue you. though. I always told you, you're special. Your story isn't over yet. There's still a page left. This is an interesting segue because if you think about let's let's move on to the other women just quickly I'll point them yeah. out who they are Mariette she's a prostitute uh, her, named Mariette named Mariette like a marionette almost. gotta keep repeating right. that yeah. right exactly um, yeah. so she's like a puppet that's why I remembered actually um, yeah. so and then you have the other girls who are also replicants but they're prostitutes then you have mm-hmm. that woman what was her name in the cloak the dark cloak. Fraser. Fraser. And she's but she's disfigured, so you know, she's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And then you have Rachel who's dead. And then you have Yoshi. Joshi. Joshi who is oh, kind of a bitch a little bit. She's very cold and distant and she's reflected in, in her environment. Um so though there there are your She's fin- human. She is human and she is in charge, but she's not I'm not saying she needed to be motherly like either. I'm not saying that. But she right. she definitely was distant. Um, she yeah. definitely. Well, I mean, she's the chief of police. She is in the chief of police, and then of she Angeles, tried to yeah. kind of. She was hoping maybe she could have sex with Kay. She's trying to. That was a little weird. A little weird. Um, and you, you also you also see men in those in those roles in films, uh, trying to do that yeah. with other, you know, with, with women trying to get kind of get into their pants, and she wanted that yeah, too. That was interesting. So that was an interesting play. But he, so there are your examples of women. But Jamie, so, Jamie, you're you're forgetting someone kind of important. Uh, Love. Yeah, love was next. But look at love is next. Uh, love is interesting because she, you see, so much emotion. She is much like a three-year-old girl, but she's, got, you know, she's got that part of her intellect is, you know, a killer, or she's turned into a killer. But joy or love is interesting to me because I d- like Deckard. I feel like she's in a job she doesn't want. You see this emotion yeah. happening on her face when she's right. killing Joshi, and she's. These tears are falling because she feels like she knows she has to because she can't say no because she's a slave. Right. Yeah. Um, she she cries at the the weirdest times yeah. and I be, I think it's so powerful Absolutely. and so scary. Yeah. So yeah, scary. It's, so, it's so disarming. She's she she's amazing. Is one of the scariest female characters I've ever seen that wasn't like made to be like an ugly witch or something, yeah, you know, yeah. like, or a ghost or something. She is a beautiful woman. Yeah. She's obviously like, she's a replicant. She's created to be beautiful. He names her love, yeah. but she has all this like volatile fire within her that comes out in these like tears that they always come when she's being the most violent. And it's, yeah. it's, Oh, it's like it's so wonderful. interesting. Yeah. Well, it's such a cool performance. Totally, I think she's very layered, and you know, there's another really, really poignant scene with her when she introduces the new model to Neander. And so, again, mm-hmm. the, the other representation of a woman. The, the the only other one we see is isolated is uh, yeah. Staline at the end. But before we get yep. to her, mm-hmm. you see the replicant model that uh, Neander is, and she's just. Very beautiful replicant model, you know, perfect body, gorgeous, yeah. and then she's essentially slaughtered by a man. 
Um, yeah, you know, and for some for some reason she isn't perfect enough, no. even though like outwardly she looks perfect and beautiful. But she can't. Which she was the, the same problem with the Rachel clone. She wasn't perfect enough. These women aren't perfect mm-hmm. enough. Let's. Keep, yeah. So what are we doing? These women made by men yes, are not perfect. They're not enough perfect for the enough. Other men that they're making. Absolutely, for. and it's so I, I I can see why some people are having a hard time feeling like where are the the women that are just grand characters and they're not made to be sex robots or killers or mm-hmm. you know or victims. or victims or bosses that are kind of a bitch um yeah. i mean there was some i i don't want to characterize joshi as a bitch because she wasn't there was some there's obvious compassion in her there she wanted to know about Kay. she was interested she was interested in his kind but was, she let him go yeah she, and, and also like him. like look at her life i mean she is like a, a middle-aged woman stuck on earth you know yeah, she who has is to be this hardened alone and, and miserable yeah. and also clearly an alcoholic and, and a workaholic um, probably and, yeah. and a workaholic yeah i mean yeah she she's like she she's a she's a pretty depressive person i think like yeah. that's her so her like, family and her home yeah. is her work yeah and and, and I, it's not like she's sexually predatory with Kay. No, i mean no, like she's that looking comes for something after real. A, a period of just an, yeah yeah she literally says that i feel like it's such a weird line aren't we all just looking for something that was the only weird? line in the I film just, like a little bit of replicant only line in the film i have trouble with i just felt like it was too on the nose yeah, me too. I thought yeah. I thought that too, and I, I I just chalked it up to her being a little drunk. So I was like, no, this is yeah, okay. I think that's right. True. I think that's right. True. Yeah. She's just a little drunk. She doesn't know what she's saying. So, it's a little weird. You know something about love that I want to mention before you go because I think you said something really astute about her being looking. Her basically, she's acting like a three year old. Like she's like a super powerful three year old. Like mm-hmm. it's it's amazing how uh, like she her body language is so fascinating yes. because when she's at rest. She sits like a little kid, mm-hmm. and I, I I find that like so it's like adorable the way she she like when, when she's like even when she's sitting. She in also the, looks so delicate, you know, yeah. when she's yeah, sitting yeah. there. Yeah, but when she's sitting in the spinner at the end, when Deckard is is apprehended, and she's like oh, sitting, yeah. and she and he's like like, oh here's my impression. He's like, where are we going? That sounded like that sounded like freaking David from <laughs> not uh, great. From Ethos. Not great. But uh, no. So uh, so but 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 she says uh, home. She says. Um, home and and she's sitting there and she's like kind of slumped like her shoulders are kind of slouched and she's sitting like like you could picture her if like her legs were shorter kicking her legs back and forth she looks like just a little kid she's like just kind of like home and and but sylvia hex as a person like she's a professional model you know she has a great um she like stands up very tall very straight she's very elegant looking and and i'm sure that that was a decision that she made to sort of make herself appear more childlike Mm -hmm. in a way which is which is then such a wonderful juxtaposition because because like because she got like for a good a good moment a good example of this is when they break the antenna when Kay breaks the antenna and joy gets tied to the emanator and the little the little dot goes off on the screen that love is watching and she's as she's watching it sitting there she's kind of sitting in that kind of childlike way so she's just sort of like killing time watching and then as soon as it goes off she stands up and you get the and yeah. she's like very threatening and she goes from zero to 60 you know in in 0.5 seconds mm-hmm. she and, and and i think that is is just like just like roy part of why he was so amazing in that role is that rucker howard's body language was like he was like prancing around like a little kid and then he was murderous and horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I feel like that's something with replicants. You know, we talk a lot about how, like, their their life cycles are so short and they don't have time to develop real emotional responses to things. And I think that's an example of it. I also think another example of that is when they're in the, the memory orb room, which is also, how freaking cool is that as a oh, set piece, yeah. right? So cool. These cloudy orbs of memories. And um, 
she says, like, you know, I think it's really interesting to get these personal questions. It must be interesting to be asked personal questions. It makes, it makes one feel, feel desired. Mm -hmm. And then she, and then, like, she does something that, like, only a little kid would do or somebody who perhaps is on, uh, maybe on the autism spectrum or something and can't quite understand emotional um, responses in other people particularly well. She, she, she then immediately turns and asks him a personal question. And, and, it's like, and her, her like face when she's waiting for the response is like, well, aren't you going to answer? Like, yeah, yeah. And it's not like sexy. It's not like this, like, like, and then we can like do it's it. It's hopeful. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh, now I'm going to try it. And like, it's, it's like she doesn't know what to uh, to expect. Mm. And her body language there to me is very childlike and it's very disarming because she's so threatening. It's, you well, know? she's often, she's often with her, um, her hands like kind of folded in front of her. And when she sits, she crosses her legs like a, a princess and, 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 um, in the beginning, when we first see her, she, like I said, she's very delicate. She's got the tea. She's like, she's being the face of the company, which is this beautiful model. And she's dressed to the nines. And she's just so delicate. That uh, one moment that I really love about her, like, I just, I love that a character named Love is so filled with violence and hatred. Yeah. And the first time you see her strength is like, when she's put in an, um, a sort of embarrassing situation that the door doesn't open to the memory room. Yeah. And she, like, just basically rips it off the hinges. And then she goes back to being like, oh, sorry. So Yeah, she literally it's, just it's, goes, sorry. It's, it's very <laughs> interesting that... And and as a woman, I, I catch myself doing... Obviously, I'm not a replicant and I'm not super strong, so I don't do the same thing. But um, as a woman, oftentimes, you make yourself smaller um, just moving about the world, like... Even today, like like I'm just walking through the store, and two men were walking towards me, and I just knew that they weren't going to be the ones to step out of the path, even though I was pushing a giant cart with two kids in it. And I was right; I had to swerve to get out of their way. Like I had to make myself smaller. Love does that a lot too. Like she she'll do her strength thing, and then she'll make herself smaller again, especially mm -hmm. in the beginning. And I find that she goes um, into subserviency, really essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is also, and, and maybe par partly, probably because she's a female replicant, but also that Kay does the same thing. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Does. Yeah, yeah, slaves. Yeah. I think that's what slaves do. They're slaves, yeah. yeah. And especially like she. So, so you know what? An interesting moment, Micah, that you just reminded me of too. In this is that uh, it. So after after Neander slaughters the angel, um, it then shows. I, I I need to like go on the wiki and find out what the term for these things are. But you know his little like vision dro drones that he mm -hmm. has. The little echo locator. Those little amazing little echo locator thing. Like one of them is like staring at her face during yes. that. Remember this? Yes. Yeah. And it comes right up and it's like it's doing the like noise. Right in her face and she looks eyes. and she looks like she's being ogled by a man. Like she she looks like she's feeling like uncomfortable. Well, that with that, that whole scene, eyes. that whole yeah. scene when she walks in, um, and it's dark and Neander's sitting there and you can't see him yet. Have you noticed yeah. her body language? She's like, yes. So, um, uh, she's not confident. The new she's models, like, yeah. The new models, sir. Oh, okay. Right. Um, and it's interesting, too, because she is tasked, the people that she kills. She kills a woman. She kills women. She killed yeah. the clone of Rachel. She killed Josie. Mm -hmm. And Josie. then she killed Joy. Um, so she's tasked with these things that she doesn't understand. Um, interesting. That are con yeah. conflicting in her. And you see it in her face. She's conflicted. Right. Um, but then at the end... Um, well, after she thinks she's kind of disabled, Kay, she's like, "I'm the best one." Um, that yeah. line so kid -like. is it's so childlike, like, so amazing. And she even, I think, doesn't she throw her arms up to the side? Like, yeah, she I'm does. the best yeah. one. Yeah. I won, yeah. and that's and me, she jumps back in the water. Yeah, it, it's it's like it's like why she 
even though it really bothers her, it seems to me that it some of the things that she does and that she witnesses, like the slaughtering of the angel, those bother her. And she maybe she doesn't know why it bothers her, but it bothers her. Mm-hmm. And but but that goal is to be the best one. I want to be. I'm always going to be at the right hand of Neander. I'm the best mm-hmm. one. He chose me. He named me love. That's my purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm the best one. And then she right. like wins for that second. Right. So that was and e- even though even though like her existence is is to serve somebody who is constantly bemoaning the fact that he can't create a replicant that can reproduce. I have a theory about that. Too. And she okay. And she is uh, is a replicant that can't reproduce, so she can never be everything that he wants her to be. Um, you know, and then it's like she all of a sudden um, supersedes that in the last minute. You know, that that whole like she can never be what she wants him to be. I so I thought maybe he named her love because she was going to be the one that he got right to be able to reproduce. Like naming her love, like mm. the consummate love. Maybe he names her love, and then she can't do it, and for some reason he keeps her around. But like that is her like her weakness and she's like constantly putting herself down about that but she still wants to be the best one like i i had this thought that maybe he named her love because he wanted her model like her form to be the one that worked and it didn't Hmm. so he almost kind of punishes her by doing all these like like he kills the angel in front of her yeah making her watch and she she watches that and she's so disturbed by it and then one of his vision bots is looking at her to see her reaction yeah Yeah, totally totally to see if she's still baseline you know yeah yeah that's what that's what it's doing um, like are you gonna react she's not crying what are you gonna do yeah Yeah. so let's pull back from this a little bit so does that all of this discussion about love who seems to be the most layered of of the women aside from and we can get to this later rachel who i think is again the elephant in the room um because really the woman the the 2049 is almost about a woman and it's a woman named rachel she's haunting the beginning and the end of this film and anyway at any rate as we go back to love my question then to both of you then is so we're discussing that who love is and then we look back at all the rest of these female characters um do you think there's credence to people having issue, taking issue with, and this is regardless of whether you connect with joy or not. Do you think that there's a, a good reason that people are feeling like women are poorly represented? Uh, I, I do. I do think that um, regardless of the fact that I can connect with joy, I do think that there's totally reason. And, and for me um, not to like, this is a part of that question part of why I didn't initially love Blade Runner 2019 was because I didn't understand. Um, I didn't understand why Rachel was staying or like sticking with Deckard after that sort of controlling scene. Like I love Rachel's character and her devastation when she finds out that she's a replicant is so beautiful and tragic mm-hmm. and, and so evocative. And it really, really touches me emotionally. But then I, I didn't understand their relationship. And that to me was like that I, I kind of had a similar problem in that like, oh, like she's so she's she finds out she's this robot and she is there for Deckard. Like she's only there for him now. He's using her for his for himself. And that's how it's I It's almost left. like she was programmed. Almost for like it. she was programmed to do it, right? So I and, and and they even allude to this in twenty forty nine when Neander is like, Maybe you were programmed to meet together. So maybe she was in fact programmed to be with Deckard. Almost like 
joy. <laughs> Stop it. But anyway, so so this, so this, is, this is me before seeing 2049. I was like, I kind of have a problem with women in this franchise. Mm-hmm. This is before 2049. I was like, I don't know if I like the love scene with Rachel and Deckard. It made me feel weird. Um, I the, Like the mowing down of Zora and yeah. like just the mowing like down that of sort Chris. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the there's women, a lot of mowing down. There's a lot of, of mowing women. down, men, men, like, and a lot of mowing down of women who just count out of a strip club. Yeah, like, that's the thing too. Naked. Like barely clothed women, barely yeah. clothed <laughs> men who you just see topless clothed. right before yeah, she. Yeah. Right. yeah, right. Yeah, and even even Pris is like you know jumping around in a Straddling, tutu. Like, yeah, yeah, like the, yeah, like she is like upside down, being all flexible. Yeah. And yes, it's sexy. And I know this movie. It was made back in the '80s before people were like thinking and talking about that too much. Yeah. Um, so like that was me when I when I had seen 2019, and then seeing 2049. I mean, like I saw all the trailers and I wasn't. I just I I was like ready to be kind of miffed about some stuff like that. And I do agree. I think there is still. I I think there is um, a precedent for people to be uncomfortable with the the roles that women are that women have in these movies. But I think at least in 2049, I think they're written purposefully that way to make us be like wait a minute like is she made to do this like why is this why why is every woman that we see that's on earth a prostitute yeah. or an old hag yeah like yeah. why is that yeah. and or I think that's or a purposeful. disfigured old woman who's right. hiding because she was deemed too powerful yeah. right right, right. Yeah. like yeah. and that that is i i believe that is purposeful i think the writers did that on purpose yeah me too. i agree and, is, and i think that's cool. i think that's part of why i think that's part of why micah and i both like joy a lot is because she seems like the She's, ultimate epitome of that like she was written to give off a certain vibe and then to transcend it yeah um and, and i i think i think that that's part of why love has has so many has so many layers to her is because she is is a completely subservient um replicant who's also completely consumed with proving that she's more than that you know yeah, she, she must I, be the think, best one. i think that's really interesting i do think that and i have a segue to our next section if you if, if you want to move i do on. i have one more comment to make but uh, we can move okay, on. okay okay well okay so so i'm going to pause what i was about to say but i'm going to come back no to no it, say right? it and then i'll <laughs> make my last comment and then well I, I i think that it is worth pointing out all right a little open parens here this movie is a goddamn masterpiece and it is one of my favorite movies of all yes. time and any of these complaints that we are saying now should not be interpreted in any way whatsoever to think, detract from I think from you that. guys have a podcast about liking this <laughs> Yeah, like this is not... Um... And, and it's okay when you really love something to be really honest about it. And I think we're all in an understanding about that. And I do not think that any of this reflects on any latent genderism or racism on the part of the people that made this film. I think that it perhaps does not address these issues in as proactive a way as perhaps it should. But I, I, I really don't want people to think that, at least for me personally, and, I, and if I can, speaking for you guys too, I don't want people to hear this and think like, oh, now they're just shitting on it because it's not um, necessarily No, no, I mean, this is my... Because oh, we are not all. doing that. We are best not doing films I've seen in 10 years. Like, in my, oh my lifetime. God. Oh, yeah. 2049 so, is gonna... haunting me every day. Like... Me right, too, right, me right, too. This is a right. top five movie yeah. oh, of easy, mine. Easy, easy, like, And I, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi nerd. I love Star Wars, but this is like up there now. Oh yeah. So I'm going to close parens on what I was saying. And I'm going to say <laughs> that I think that uh, it is it is worth noting that all of the really primary characters in this film that have actual um, stakes and complexity are almost all white men. And, and, and I, I think that there's there's some exceptions exceptions to that, 
but and I think we'll talk about this more momentarily, but I, I think that it's a little bit shocking at this day and age mm-hmm. to have a, a film made that is otherwise very progressive and very interesting with such a non-diverse um, cast of, of, of leads. So that's something we'll talk about momentarily. Yeah, but, but yeah. the you know the argument can be made that, hey, there was a, a strong female lead who was in the movie a lot, which was Joshi. Um, so that kind of throws the kind of gender but jo- but joshi joshi was bryant in this in yeah this she was, like, she was. Jo- she joshi was. is she's not like let's 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 be clear joshi jealous. hey joshi wears one outfit yeah. she is only seen drinking she has maybe a total of a page and a half of dialogue she propositions k she she's is like obviously like a depressive dude. alcoholic miserable person and uh, she is murdered two thirds of the way through the yeah, movie. Yeah. So like I I I don't I and and you know, obviously you you don't cheer when you see her on the screen. You cheer when you see Deckard on the yeah. screen. You cheer when you see Kay mm-hmm. triumph over something. Yeah. You don't when you see Joshi take another swig of whatever you know vodka she's drinking and then get get and, eviscerated. And, and while I'll always argue that um, Joy is a hero in this film, she is not the main hero. No, oh, no. By any stretch of the no. imagination, and Love is not the main villain either. No. Even though she happens to be the the boss battle she's not she doesn't get top billing she's, she's not, not the big picture right, on the poster she, exactly and she's not the overarching villain like like she is taken care of and the meander still out there so that they can do more movies which i really hope they do because it's awesome um but yeah so she's not like it's not like the the ceo of wallace is not a female mm-hmm. which would be cool or it's not is, is and could is, have is, been is, you know could have been but also could have been um a, a person of color yeah. Too, which is I think we were going to talk about yeah. next. Yeah, but but Jamie, hang on. I did cut you off. I want you to go back to your point. Oh yeah. No. Which was about 3 hours ago. <laughs> no, um my point is I and I I think about all these issues that we're we're discussing and processing and I'm thinking about the original film and um the whole off-world thing was going on in 2019. A lot of, you know, uh, I think a lot of people were kind of the people who were left on earth are either they weren't qualified, they weren't rich enough. So there's a lot of the people who could qualify have left Earth. And so the people who are kind of the right. garbage left over, the leftovers, essentially, who are still on Earth, who are still kind of grounded, um, they don't have much options. They have a job that they do, maybe, and so they go and they screw their brains out. Um, and it's all about pleasure and pleasure models and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, you and I feel like 20, 2049 is an extension of that, where it's an extension of that over-sexualized um, depiction of women because that's that's what the universe set up. So it's just continuing yeah. that. I don't think it's something... And that's what, like, the, the low model of, of people left on Earth, that's just what they want. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, and I, I think that Denis and Fancher and um, Michael Green, uh, you know, well, I would say more Fancher and Michael Green, as they were writing these pieces, or writing these people and this world... They were trying to really reflect, well, where is this society in 2019 now in 2049? Where is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you if you look at our the issues that we deal with in real life, um, in terms of what's happening in the newspaper, all these women stepping forward about sexual harassment, about sexual mm-hmm. assault, um, they're speaking from a position of being very small players and a very patriarchal controlling over sexualized society and i think that's what what blade runner 2019 was and 2049 is a continuation because that's the society that we live in now we're starting to break free from that 
We're starting to yeah. have a conversation that this country has never had before. I don't want to get too far into that. But what I'm saying is I really think that probably more than, oh, my God, 2049 is a, is a, doesn't have any great characters for women. It's not so much about that because I feel like if it's going to do all these, these things perfectly, it's going to have these perfect roles for women. Um, it's not going to be true to the world that was set up. Um, where yeah, you have a, okay. a, a world where there's either Tyrell or Neander making pleasure models um, and or making holographic models to to make people's lives easier. Um, and sexuality is a very difficult discussion to have in America. We're over-sexualized without even being able to talk about it. Um, people yeah. say the word like vagina or penis and people will snicker and laugh still. Um, yeah. We're so... It's like this vice that we have that we don't want to talk about, that everybody has. Um, and I think 2049 brilliantly has that on display, um, that mm -hmm. there's yeah. still a misogynistic society. It's still a society run by men. Men are, st even yeah. though Joshi's in, you know, she's the head of police or that division, she's not in control. Um, right. And what did she have to do to even get to that position? Yeah. And too? She, like how long yeah. did she have to work? And she's, and... Uh, she's a slave to the system too. She's not there because yeah. she wants to be. So uh, that uh, that's know. the setup. Yeah. She's on world still. Yeah. You know? yeah she does, uh, you she's think a powerful that she, person she totally on world. And, 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 and I think that there's a lot to be said. And, and I know Jamie, you've, you've expressed that um, you don't like her environs that much. Her office. No, I didn't. Set yeah. design. And we, we can, we can unpack because I know we, we got to get to the Collins and things like that. So we're <laughs> kind of running out of time here. But I, I think that there's a reason it's shot like that. And, and I think there's a reason why, for example, when she's killed by love, um, it goes to the outside and there's no sound. Or, or when Kay walks in the office after the baseline test and, and you, you're not in the office, you see it happening from the other side of this thing. It's because mm -hmm. it's setting up this idea that she's almost entombed. Mm -hmm. She's almost like, she, uh, yeah. she's almost like in an Edgar Allan Poe story. Mm -hmm. She's been, she's, she's, she's trapped. She's a slave. She might be a really powerful woman and she might have a lot of money and she might have a lot of success and she might have a lot of authority comparatively. But at the end of the day, she's, she's as trapped as she's anybody She's just is. what love to the point love where she's a tiny thing. She yeah. is, yeah, right, Ooh, right, yeah, and, and the dialogue in that part is oh my just God, it's so, so scary. good. Oh, it's such a great scene. Um, I, I think we probably got to move on to Collins. Do you want to maybe uh, unpack some of the racial stuff in another episode? Yeah, well, I'll just. Yeah, just I think that might be its own. I, I'll just touch on the on the racial thing really briefly, really briefly, yeah, yeah. really briefly, and I think when we're living in a society that's really changing right now, uh, again as a reflection of what's going on uh, socially, uh, sociologically, maybe with. Uh, America specifically, um, the the discussion about race has always been very difficult for people to have. Um, uh, both sides of the fence are very uh, defensive and combative um, because there's so mm -hmm. much pain there. There's such a history there between races. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, some other Western cu cultures have progressed further than this. Um, mm -hmm. And the things are easier, but this... I, I really still think that, you know, the, the people of color that you see, aside from Gaff, so you have Gaff who's, you know, played by Edward James Olmos, who has like a five minute scene, if it's a five minutes, and he's doing, not even not that, even that. It's maybe, maybe yeah. like a three minute scene, and then he yeah. does his thing, and then he's gone. The next person of color you see is, um, well, there's the other lieutenant, but he gets a couple of lines, um, and then you never see him again, and then you see, uh -huh. the, what's his name, who is... The who was in control of, of the orphanage. Um, oh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, you see, uh, uh, 
Oh my god, why can't I think of his yeah, name? Yeah. I love that yeah. actor. Oh my god, I love him. Too. I want more um, of that actor forever. But anyways, his his oh character god, is very short. He's yeah. it's act he acts the hell out of it and is very lyrical in some ways. He does an amazing job with I that. I was performance. so surprised yeah. that um he wasn't in there more because yeah. he's well, such same a with good Sapper actor. too. I mean I, I thought oh, Sapper yeah, was gonna be too. in it for a long time. He's only in it for about And okay, so Sapper too, Sapper, uh Dave Bautista is half Filipino. Um he gets killed right away. And then you have and then you But but I mean but to be fair Oh, Mr. Cotton. Mr. Cotton is, Cotton is the um, is the is the orphanage. Okay. Um, but the, but uh, to 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 be fair, like Dave Bautista, I think reads as just sort of a you know a, a, a white man person of like white. Dis- yeah, I, I mean, and and it's not like there's. Is he? He's not. It's this is diff- Well, he's half Filipino. Oh. There, it's 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 difficult because like it's not like there's something wrong with being a, a white guy. Like there's nothing wrong with casting people uh you know in, in these no. roles that it's just it's just like the it's the monolithicness of the casting in this movie yeah. on a racial basis is 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 sort of shocking but here's the thing because you because like you're right yeah it's not it's not about there's nothing wrong with casting white people in these roles i don't think that's the, really the question i think the problem that the film industry has is that throughout its history white people tend to be the most important people you see in films period end of story yeah. in fact the yeah. the Tend to be the, the yeah. series that is bucking that trend and making making the most waves right now is Star Trek Discovery, where it doesn't just cast a woman um, as the central role; it's a black woman. You know, I mean, yes. it's, it's and for many people, it's like you can't get more a replicant than being a black woman. Like she's not even mm-hmm. she's not even human. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. and that has stirred so that has stirred the pot. But that's what Star Trek has always done. Um, that's what it should continue to do. And I think the issue is giving people of color agency, not because they're people of color, but because we're all living the same story or we're all on yeah. the same journey. And you include them because you want to tell their stories too. And you want to say, no, right. this person over here is important too. Not because he's black, but because he's a person and they're right. living right. a life. He, he's a character, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like it's not, it's not about him being black. It's about him living a life. Mm-hmm. Just like, I think, is, isn't, is Idris Elba actually going to be the new James Bond? Or is that just... No, I don't, I don't think so. No, he's not. I heard, I, I, no! Yeah. Oh my God, he would be so... He would, but even the blowback with that. Yeah. Like you have... I know! You have some of the writers of the book saying, no, this can't happen, this can't happen, no, no. This is just... It's insane. It's, so it's, boring. A, it's insane. Okay, let's it's get insane. another white dude to uh, do uh, it. Let, let alone Idris Elba starring in Dark Tower was this gigantic point of controversy versus as well. And and I, I, I like, people be, like, I mean, I, I'm in a number of like Stephen King discussion groups, you know, because I like, I love Stephen King. And the argument in there about whether or not it's appropriate for his character to be uh non-white are just they go on and on and on and on and on and people bring up these minutiae from the stories i guarantee we're going to get an email from somebody about this but people bring up these ridiculous excuses why he can't be played by a black guy because it does something disingenuous to the character i'm like come on like you're searching for reasons to say that because it might not match up with your preconception of who he is because at the end of the day People tend to create in their own image, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And you look at the creative team behind this movie. Like, you, you, what do you, you have? Denny Villeneuve, Hampton Fancher, Michael Green, Scott. Uh, Johan Johansson transferring into uh, into uh, Ben Walfish and, and Hans Zimmer. You have Ridley Scott. You have it. Oh, it is dude. it is completely white men, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like all of them. And of course, and, and and it's easy. You know, like the old adage in writing is like you write what you know, right? So like so so it makes sense. It's not like that's wrong to do that. Like they're writing what they know. But we're at a point where I think you have to question what you're writing about and think: Am I being truly representative 
of the scope of the human experience? Or am I just writing parts for, for, for white men mm-hmm. to get interesting material in a movie? Because it's true that in the Hollywood studio system, there is tremendous impetus to cast specific types of leads because they will bank well, right? And that's why on the poster, among other reasons, you have Jared Leto's face gigantic and you don't even see Sylvia. I Hatz, know, right? Isn't that crazy? Like, and, 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 but it's because nobody knows who she yeah. is and nobody knows who she is, not by virtue of her lack of talent because she does not have a lack of talent. It's because she has not been cast in prominent roles before. And that is probably at least in part due to the fact that there aren't as many roles written for interesting female characters. And there, and the ones that are there have so much competition because everybody wants to get those three roles yeah. in a given mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm that everybody's going for it you know what i mean whereas and and so so like if you just look at the poster you have gigantic harrison ford gigantic ryan gosling a very small joy um and of course she's she's hispanic she's cuban or she's cuban i think yeah. um so like so that so at least there's a little bit of diversity there yeah. um and then you have you know gigantic jared leto and you have all these white characters and then, and then you, you look you look at the actual oh lenny james that's lenny his name. James. you look at the lenny actual james. you look at the actual characters like that you see that are that are minorities in this movie and you're right like you go from a uh, from this like a lieutenant who's in the forensic lab for has maybe again? three lines. Yeah, he hasn't his name. I can't remember what it was though. But but he has like three lines. Um, and then you have like a street hustler who is a great character. Badgers. She doesn't really um, interesting, but he's like a street hustler, okay. you know. And then you have uh, you have Lenny James who's this like slave driving orphanage mm-hmm. owner. Um, and then you have uh, a prostitute, but she doesn't say anything ever. A, an unspoken prostitute. You also have Love is meeting with the black woman um, yeah. who runs some sort of a construction company, mm-hmm. but who doesn't say anything who either. Doesn't say anything. Um, it's these parts that are so transient. Yeah. It's like it's like they could have been played by anybody, and that's the problem yeah. is that they could have been played by anybody. Yeah. Like, but the parts that are written that are fully fledged out and have this entire like body of experience were written uh, like with the expectation that they'd be played by white actors. And I, and I think that's, I think that's the problem, you know? I agree. Obviously not to say that like Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford and they're amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. But there's no reason why, well, I mean, there is for Deckard because there's precedent with him, yeah. but there's no reason why Kay couldn't have been a minority. You yeah. know, or there's no reason in my opinion, why he couldn't have been played by I a woman. And I think it would have been, I think it would have been more interesting. I think it would have been very cool. Imagine if Kay was played by that. a black man. How profound. Right. Yeah. How, like, how, how different that would be. But here, here, I want to circle around one, two things that or two thi- make two more comments as we kind of wrap this up and we go into uh, the feedback that we're getting. Uh, the first thing is the larger universal issues that 2049 trades in, in terms of who are we in this world living in a world where there's other people in there, but we're all living insular lives and technology is kind of forcing that along a little bit, or it's heightening it, I should say. Um, the story of 2049 is so profound to me emotionally. I am talking about these things and we're discussing them because they're in the, they're in the, the current zeitgeist. Um, uh-huh. But the story is so profound to me. I don't even see case color. Um, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I agree with do that I at too. The end of the day. I agree. Yeah. But these are not things that I'm thinking about while I'm watching the movie. By any and, means. But I do see Lenny James's color and Badger's color mm. because mm. they're marginalized and, People of color have tend to always have always been marginalized. However, that's yeah. not. I don't think you know the film. That's just. It's more commentary on where we still are as a race of people, uh, and where we still need to go. Um, I think probably the next Blade Runner is pro- if there is ever one. Not that there needs to be, but if there is, I think it'd probably be pretty different. Um, and it'll probably just come out naturally in terms of how they write a woman woman character. Um, 
yeah. or and or a uh, person of color and what role that they get, which leads me to my last point. And this is back to kind of how women are are presented. And I feel like really we have a really powerful character, and I mentioned this before, the most powerful character in that film who wields power over all men is Rachel. You've got a little boy. He shows you his butterfly collection plus the killing jar. I take him to the doctor. You're watching television. Suddenly you realize there's a wasp crawling on your arm. I'd kill it. You're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page nude photo of a girl. Is this testing whether I'm a replicant or a lesbian, Mr. Deckard? Just answer the questions, please. You show it to your husband. He likes it so much, he hangs it on your bedroom wall. I wouldn't let him. Why not? I should be enough for him. And her bones are powerful. Her, her, she has become godlike in her ability to have something that men have always, throughout history and still today, try and control: reproduction. Hmm. Rachel has achieved yeah. that. Rachel is an incredibly strong female role in 2049, as is her daughter. Um, and she, I, and I, I just, I think it's important that we not forget that 2049 is about Rachel. And she holds the power. She holds the key. They're all looking for essentially a woman who has who has developed something that no one thinks is possible. She's almost like Jesus. Um, and we t- touched on that a little bit uh, in our last episode, but or not. She's not like Jesus. She's like Mary, where she's had a child and she's not. She shouldn't have, but she did. Uh-huh. Um, or like Sarah from the Bible. And you can't. How do you? How do you take power away from a man? You have a child and say, I'm in control of yeah. this child. And you say, this is what's going to happen. Um, they have no say so over that. And we, yeah. and so I, I just kind of want to leave it there. That's for, for me. But I, I do think I, we, we need to have at least one episode where we really talk about that. Yeah, because agreed. you're right. Like, like reproduction is at really at the heart of this whole yeah. thing. And you're right. That, well, that it's like the ultimate, the ultimate power that women have. The that symbol men don't of it, have. the symbol of it, right? Like the symbol of motherhood, the symbol of this chosen child that should not be mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. That is the powerful image and, and symbol of the film. And that is what everyone's looking for. It's the great mystery of the whole plot. It, it's, Definitely, um, Rachel is the catalyst for yeah. that. And I think um, it is very powerful how haunting her ghost is, how first we hear her. And, and then when, De- like like you guys mentioned on other um, episodes, how powerful it was. And I totally agree. How powerful was it to see Rachel Rachel's memory yeah. and the love that she had with Deckard make him be so vulnerable? Yes, yes. That was like... Yeah. I, I agree with you, Patrick. My favorite line also is that um, sometimes when you love someone, you have to be a stranger. And You're a stranger. I, okay, so, <laughs> I, stranger. I really, oh I really like, I've never seen Harrison Ford be that vulnerable. And, and, and that, I was like, okay, I'm on board with Deckard now. I love him. Mm-hmm. He's great. Um, and that, see, so to me, my I'll, I'll do my last point. Rachel 
is to Deckard what joy is to Kay. For I can me. see the similarities there, absolutely. I, I will not disagree with that. Um, I know. And I know. hey, they were both built. They were both programmed. Yeah, just, just because she, just because one of them is three-dimensionalized or one of them was built with some sort of um, you know, physical sen- synthesized cell reproduction, to me, doesn't matter because at the end of the day, they both fulfill the same purpose. Yeah, the I, I can see what you're saying. I, I, it does matter to me. Um, but I will say quickly, here's what's interesting if you look about if you look at in terms of reproduction being a power, um, a power that men do not have. Um, when men try and strip women of their power in the society that they live in, whether it's in divorce or whatever, what do they try and do? They try and take away the kids. They try and get custody mm. because they know that if the woman has the children, she is in control and they don't want them in control. So you see all the time, my, my, my former brother-in-law tried to get my nephew from her mo- his mother um, because she mm-hmm. did not want to pay child support. Um, the power that women hold is so profound that men continue to find ways to usurp it today. So well, all, the, all, all the abortion and birth control well, that's, laws, that's whole, but we won't talk whole about that. Thing. That's a whole yeah. separate thing. But and, and we can talk about it. But I, I should say that I, I do think that in some divorce scenarios that that men are doing that because they just love their kids too. I, I think you know. Well, uh, no, I, 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 I don't think it's no, necessarily I'm, fair no, to say no, that. No, I completely agree. It's not all men who are trying to get their kids in divorce. But unfortunately, with the nature of divorce. It gets bitter a lot of times, probably more times than not. And men, a, a lot of men, don't want to pay child support, and so what do they try and do? I think that's true. They want yeah, they I, want to I, get I, the, I, they want to get the kids away so the kids can live with them. Yeah. Um. And yeah. it's not every man, but hey, from experience, in terms of the people that I know, it's a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but yeah, again, yeah, it's yeah. not so much that 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 topic. It's men trying to take control of something control. they have no control over. Right. Um, right. Yes. And and I agree with Micah that reproductive health and reproductive rights is is, is the, the the spear point of that whole entire argument. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I do think just because this episode is getting so long, we should unpack that on another oh, for episode. Sure. And I, I think I think we Micah, I think you should. <laughs> but I, I think Micah, you should come back as a, as a mother and somebody with a lot of insight into mm-hmm. that and to to tell us you know your views on that stuff too because I, sure. I think that that's that's hugely important in the trajectory of Blade Runner and this in this movie is sort of everything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so that was a that was an awesome conversation. It went on a little bit longer than I think we anticipated it, but I, I feel like we could have easily talked for another two hours about that. So we'll, we'll kind of we'll keep that conversation pause where it is, uh, and then we will pick it up next time uh, we are here. And I just I just want to personally thank Micah for coming on. That was awesome, and uh, and and it was amazing. She's actually going to go back to study for her nursing exam right now, uh, and so uh, so Jamie and I are going to continue on. Um, because this episode is running a little bit long, we're going to uh, we're going to go through the emails that you guys sent in, and then we're going to play the calls that you um, gave us, and we are going to table the conversation about them for now, and then we will open our next discussion episode right away with getting to what you guys talked about. So we're going to go ahead and say them now, play them now, and then we want you guys who are listening to this to be thinking of these points over the next week or two so that when we come back, uh, we can have a really uh, energized conversation about it and give these all the attention that they that they earn. So before we do, just just to remind you for the you know millionth time, uh, how how we got these messages and how you can give us give us messages as well. The emails that we're going to start with went to bladerunnerpodcast at gmail.com. It's bladerunnerpodcast at gmail.com. We are trying to be really active with that email account and make sure that we are always responding quickly and we love hearing from you. 
Um, so send us written thoughts via that or via our Facebook page, Shoulder for Ryan, the Blade Runner podcast on Facebook. Or uh, you can call us like the people in the second half of this next segment did um, by just calling 213-787-7894 and leaving a voice message. Nobody's going to pick it up. It's going to go straight to voicemail. We will listen to it. We will put it onto an upcoming segment and we will go ahead and talk about it. Um, and you can call about anything you want. And if there's something specific that's coming up that we're going to want to unpack with you guys in concert, then we'll let you know to call in about that. But otherwise, just call into the show and let us know what you're thinking about. Because uh, we we really see this. I mean, we have we have kind of a responsibility. Like, we are, we are as far as we can tell, the only Blade Runner podcast. And because of that, um, this is, like, hopefully going to become a nice resource for fans around the world. And, uh, and that means that it should belong just as much to you guys as it does to us. So we want you to be on the show. We want to encourage that kind of interaction, and we really look forward to hearing from you. So without any further blabbing on my part, because this is running long, we're going to go ahead and get started on the emails. The first one we got was from Benjamin R., and he says, Hey guys, love the discussions. One observation I don't see many people discussing is when Badger says you must be rich for owning a piece of wood. If you look at all of the rooms in Wallace's place, they're almost entirely made of wood. Thought that was a nice little detail. And then he also says, What do you guys think of Mad Max Fury Road as a companion piece for this? Hear me out. I feel like they're both gifts to cinema fans. Miracles, even. In what world did these 30-plus year sequels get approval for $150 million budgets and then deliver in spades? I would gladly frame any still from either movie and hang it on my wall. Widely different movies, but I cherish them for the same reasons. We were given something we don't deserve. And then he says, lastly, I thought Deacons was a lock with Skyfall for the gold for cinematography. He can't possibly lose with this, can he? And then he also says, Hoytima's work on Dunkirk was brilliant, but come on. All right, so there's lots of great stuff in there, and we will get to that in the next episode. Jamie, you want to take the next yes. one? Yes. Gabrielle Torres says, Hey, greetings from Sweden. Great podcast, and the long, discu- and the long discussion about joy was really thought-worthy. You mentioned... Oh, good, because there's another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that when Wallace says, we will storm Eden and retake it, it might imply that he is a replicant. I think this quote must be put into the context that he thinks that replicants are just the next evolutionary step for humanity. Then this we just means humanity as a whole. If he is a replicant, he must have made been made by Tyrell because he saved the world before he started making replicants. This is just my thought about this quote and him being a replicant. Fascinating. A lot to him. Yeah, a lot, lot to, to unpack. A lot there. to unpack there. Yeah, I, fr- I freaking love these emails. Uh, and then the next one is uh, from Shane Bassett, who is a uh, a movie reviewer and analyst. He says. He says, loving the effort, dedication, and enthusiasm you guys showcase in the discussions. And then he says, I've seen it at least 23 Jeez. times. 23 that's times! Awesome. That's commitment. Which is crazy. That's, that's, that's amazing, dude. And he says, I'm going to catch it at least two more times in the cinema. And he says, he only saw it once in 3D, and he didn't find that very impressive. I actually haven't seen it in 3D yet. I've seen it in IMAX a number of times, but not in 3D. Anyway, he says, my opinion is Harrison Ford won't be nominated for a Best Supporting Oscar. He's good, but not that great in the role. Looking at his reactions as he sits in the flooding spinner, he's so obviously uninterested and bored, thinking to himself, hurry up during the fight. <laughs> and then he says, keep up the brilliant view. So that's that's definitely something we can argue about a little bit on the next episode. I, I think he's amazing in this yeah. part. But I can certainly see arguments being made for the contrary, and I look forward to talking about yes. that. So I guess for now, we're, so we're going to go right to the calls, and we're going to play those for you guys. And again, uh, before we get back on the air in a couple weeks... 
please be thinking about these uh, issues and these ideas. And, and if you have more to say, go ahead and reach out, and we will go ahead and put those on the next episode as well. And we're going to start unpacking these ideas when we uh, record again, which will hopefully be very yeah. soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. Bye. Hey guys, this is Ryan from Wisconsin. Uh, excuse my phone call here. I'm, I'm driving uh, while I'm calling you guys. I just want to say I love the podcast, uh, the Blade Runner podcast you guys do, Shoulder of Orion. Um, listen to it all the time when I go to work. It's fantastic. I love your insights and your, your knowledge with um, knowing kind of behind the scenes on soundtrack making and that sort of thing. But uh, I just wanted to call and say like, my reaction to Blade Runner 2049 was I went in skeptical but optimistic and it just blew all of my worries and expectations out of the water. Um, there was a, there was a lull in the middle of it where I, I was kind of worried that I wasn't into it, but then it just swept me back up again. And by the end, I was just so full of uh, just raw emotion that when the credits started rolling, I just sat there, stared at the screen, and just started to cry because I just did not know what to do with all the things I was feeling. So, um, yeah, it was it was powerful, and I love I love everything about it. I've only been able to see it once, but I've already got it pre-ordered. Uh, I'm going to get it on uh, 4K as soon as it comes out um, and watch it just over and over and over, and hopefully there's plenty of special features there. But, uh, again, thank you guys for the podcast. It's fantastic, and uh, keep up the good work. Hey guys, my name is Dustin Tugis. I am uh, Patrick Green's brother-in-law. Um, I'm calling in today because, uh, well, Patrick made me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, but um, I'm calling in because I'd like to continue the discussion about joy last, last time. Um, so I think I would have to coincide with Jamie on this one due to the fact that joy is programmed. So, um, I don't believe, Patrick, that we can simply write that off, um, that fact off, to make your argument credible that she is, she's programmed. I think the significance of joy is to play on those emotions of love and passion, because it is directly written, um, in her programming, like Jamie said, love him at all costs, and so, um, so... That's just one observation I had on, and I'd like to agree with uh, Jamie on that one. Um, I had one more observation or idea um, about the unicorn dream that Deckard had in the first one. Um, but let me just preface my comments beforehand. Please don't take this to be, you know, sexist or anything along those lines. But um, I think the unicorn dream of Deckard um, in the first one could be a symbol of a daughter. Um, you know, if we think about it, young girls love to play, you know, with unicorns, you know, at, at, a, at a kid's age, you know, you look at, um, like, My Little Pony as an example of that, and, you know, those are unicorns, you know, drawn to, you know, uh, these little kids to play with. Um, so, I'm just thinking maybe the dream could have been Deckard longing for, you know, a child, but more, you know, more along the lines of a daughter. Um, I don't know, just, just spitballing, something that, I, that, that came into mind. Um, but anyway, thank, thanks guys for listening, um, 
I enjoy the podcast. You know, Patrick, you're doing a great job. Love you, brother. Um, anyway, thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Peter from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm really, really impressed with the podcast and how it's developed. Really enjoying it every day. Obviously, we need more of that, but keep up the great work. Uh, the one thing I wanted to kind of mention um, from last week's episode was the comments around your favorite scenes, and I think one of you mentioned the bee or the, yeah, I guess it's a bee or a hornet on um, Kay's hand. Uh, when I saw that, I think there was there was some connection for me in terms of the original Blade Runner uh, with one of the questions in the Voight Comp test when Deckard was um, interviewing Rachel. Uh, and I don't remember the exact quote, but around uh, you see a, a a bee or a hornet on your your hand, and then she immediately says, "I'd kill it." And I think it's interesting to see that because you almost see that in real life for Kay. And I think with him starting to understand what it's like to be human, he breaks away from what that old technology or that old replicant mindset may have been into something a little more progressive now. And obviously he just studied it and watched it and appreciated it, which I think is that ju- juxtaposition between the last movie and this movie and showing how uh, he's evolving. So just a thought, I-, I found it really cool and I have a million other ideas, but I think that one was the one that was kind of um, uh, lingering on my mind from your last episode. Again, great job guys, keep it up. Uh, love the idea of the call-in number and looking forward to uh, more podcasts, y'all. Keep it up, bye. Hey guys, my name is Dan. I'm calling from Oakland, California. A long time uh, Blade Runner fan. Definitely my the original is my favorite movie of all time uh, and resounds a lot in my life and in terms of philosophy and the deeper meanings of, you know, what is life, what is reality, what does it mean to be a human, how do you know that your life is real, and all those deeper thoughts that I know resound with you guys as well. So um, it was nice to hear you guys talking about those things on the podcast. I really enjoyed the new movie. I've seen it twice. I'll probably go see it a third time. Um, and I'm noticing more and more things uh, as I watch it, and you guys have helped me do that through your description and your conversations. So good job with the podcast. I really appreciate it. I wanted to bring up two quick points um, on the totem uh, level for both movies, but especially for 2049, and uh, it was two things. One is a question, a little confused about it. Um, when Kay discovers and unearths the horse totem in the furnace, which he realizes he's in the building from his memory and knows, everybody knows watching the scene, it's very atmospheric and long the way Villeneuve does, which is great because it puts you in the character's head, that he's going to find that horse. Uh, What I don't understand is the surprise on his face because it seems that the movie is implying, just as they have been, that he is the missing child. that by finding the horse, it proves that he's the child, whereas finding the horse is really just confirmation that the memory is a real memory, which I think Kay knew already. He just knew it wasn't his memory, it was someone else's, but he knew it was a real memory. So I don't understand exactly what they're trying to show in his face when he finally unearths uh, that horse. And then two, and I didn't notice this until the second time I watched the movie, and I checked online and some other people have noticed this as well, when he's fidgeting with the uh, horse and turns it around in a couple different scenes, you can see a round scar um, above the horse's eyes where a horn would normally be if that were a unicorn totem. And I certainly don't think that's a coincidence, and I think that's really meaningful, and I'd like to 
see if you guys noticed that and see if you can discuss that a little bit because obviously the unicorn in the first movie has a lot of meaning and the horse in the second movie has a lot of meaning um so yeah two things i kind of obviously there's way more to talk about but i'll just leave you guys with that thanks a lot and keep up the good work If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calamity.